The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other. So you know oppression, inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey. And that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection. Welcome home, brother. This is the Girly Men Podcast. My name is Mike Gurley, and I'm the host and founder of girlymen.com, a site for gay men and anyone self-identified as the other, designed to help you invest in your own dignity, strengthen your connection with your chosen families, and strive in general society. Now that you've found us, please hit that subscribe button. Today's guest is Sister Unity. Sister Unity and I met more than 20 years ago at a photo shoot where the boys were naked and the sisters were there helping us in a cooking calendar. She drew the ohm on my right butt cheek um, in frosting. And that's how I met this incredible being who later I noticed was providing ritual in unusual places like bars and leather contests. In addition to her hilarity, she has this deep spiritual centeredness um, that's identified with Hinduism. You'll hear her mention Hamlet, Ram Dass, and Tao, all while making us laugh and leaving us feel better about ourselves in the moment. She listens deeply, and that listening touches people's hearts, especially the hearts of those who know we are the other. Welcome to the episode here, Sister Unity. I'm with Sister Unity. Is she here? She owes me money. And well, this is um, I've uh, I've never seen Sister Unity so stripped down, except for when we first met. Well, we're sitting in we're a hot tub. What did you expect me to wear? Crinolines. <laughs> By the um, way, pass the champagne flute. Let's like check in for a second. We'll just get centered. Okay. And tell me. How you're feeling? How am I feeling? It is January third, two thousand twenty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I have just returned from the holidays with my family. My parents have aged to the point where the children need to give them help, and that is a difficult negotiation with very independently minded parents. And I'm speaking as euphemistically as I can. <laughs> She's a Scorpio and Italian. I'm just saying. Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, and, and it was quite a surprise to find them in that condition. Uh, uh, it, it's it, None of us have ever been that old ourselves, and none of us have ever had our parents be that old until they are. And so yeah. it is always a real eye-opener. And finding one's footing between abject fear and panic on the one hand, and practical considerations and grounding oneself to continue one's own life in the face of trying to step in and step up and manage someone the life of someone you love, whether they want you to or not, that's all just a kettle of mutant fish that have been genetically crossed with wildcats. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So that's how I'm feeling. That that's huge. That's huge. Mm. Well, you and I, uh, part of our journey is seeing a lot of people not get old because they died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, more, it's it's astounding because when you and I were coming of age, it was all about AIDS. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing that we thought we were going to lose the world to AIDS. And it turns out, uh, at least in, tell me of your experience, my experience was that I didn't lose the world to AIDS. I lost three people, but I've lost far more to meth and other drugs and alcohol, mm. but uh, far more to meth than AIDS. Isn't that remarkable? 
even some people who don't die from it are permanently changed. So yeah, so we have people like that in our, our lives. I would kind of like to talk about um, how, how being queer, be, being, being gay men or the other, um, it, it, it usually sucks. Um, in a, but if we live long enough, I see that ordeal as, as a positive experience. Would you see either coming out experience? Uh, well, let's just start with coming so, out. Do you see the coming out experience to, as a plus? To, for to answer your question, to answer your question, I need to revise your premise. Okay. For me, it never sucked. There were times mm. that sucked. Okay. But as a general existentialist state, it never sucked. Mm. When I came out to my mom, she I wrote her a letter. And uh, I had just gotten back from a year overseas. I went to an art school in Florence, Italy. And let me tell you, being queer there did not suck for me. <laughs> I sucked, and very well, for the first time. That's where I lost my virginity. Florence, Italy. Oh, my God. Couldn't have been. And I lost my virginity, uh, like, full on in Venice during Carnevale with an Austrian. If your name is Florian Schindler and you <laughs> screwed a skinny boy from America and you only spoke French all night because it's the only language you guys had in common... Hi, call me. I'm in Los Angeles. You are the best. I love you. Oh. Um, that is important, though. Your first experience really oh, yeah. was a good one. Oh, the first one. I was like, is is there like, is Aphrodite like typing this out up in oh, you know, Mount Olympus and, and writing this? I couldn't believe how fairy tale perfect and romantic and lovely it was. How old were you? Um, I was 20. I was like a couple okay. months shy of 21. And okay. I was like, please, God, do not let me hit 21 without <laughs> having gotten it some. Um, so uh, so I got home, and uh, I was living on campus where I was going to college for the summers taking graduate courses, because uh, I, I, I am just that smart. Uh, I think I was studying um, fungal biocommerce with a side of theater, because they go together. You know, synchronicity. Um, and I was sitting in the kitchen with my friends in this attic apartment that we rented, uh, total queer space. It was just queer architecturally, culturally, and uh, um, and most of us were queer. And I just pretended to write a letter to my mother. And I wrote, dear mom, I'm, and then in like huge five inch tall letters, gay. <laughs> and I thought, ha ha ha. And then something inside of me had shifted. A year on my own in a fairy tale land, um, but also like learning to cook for myself, learning to do for myself, like on an adventure, a successful, a glorious, fabulous adventure of my own had done something inside. And I realized after I did that, and I was joking like, ha ha ha, wouldn't, wouldn't that be funny as though it were never to be possible. But something inside was like, you know, you have to write that letter now. So I then wrote her a letter and I tried to yeah. explain I feel for this person this way and that person that way and they're similar in this way and different. It was just a mess. Long and short of it was she called me and was like, I got your letter. I don't want to talk on the phone about it because that's it's a lot to talk about. Come home and we'll talk. And I was like, well, I'm not coming home just for that. <laughs> I'll see you when I get home on vacation. Oh, where was home? Home is in Maine. I was born in Portland, Maine, and I grew up in Maine and just outside of Boston. A lot of people think because I'm Sister Unity or Orange Chiffon and I'm a you know, rubber chicken flippity gibbet that I'm all easy. But I, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a flinty Yankee. So then, coming out for me was not difficult. Uh, coming out was difficult, uh, and that is not a negative experience. 
it's a difficult experience. Mm. For some people, it's an absolutely negative experience. It's yeah. risky and horrifying to think of. It's risky and horrifying to execute. It's risky and horrifying in the results. Some people are thrown out of their families. You and I know full well we've seen the kids on the streets here in Los Angeles. Yes. Um, yeah. It is a horror story. It is deplorable. It is the worst of American society. Uh, like right up there with misogyny and racism, in my opinion. Mm. Um, mine, luckily, was nothing like that. I could have very well known and guessed that she would have accepted me, and she did. Um, she called me home for this talk, and she just really wanted to sort of... It was really just micromanaging. She just wanted to like get her, her, her two cents in on what her son was going through and have her say, if you will. Just part of how our, our relationship dynamics were. Okay. It was kind of obnoxious for me because I was like, <clears throat> why aren't you giving me a cake? Why don't you give me a chiffon dress to celebrate? Okay. Um, but even with that, even with an accepting parent, and I've, you see the videos on YouTube, um, kids with parents who immediately tell them they love them and hug them and everything. Yeah. You, the kid is freaking out and you know, t brought to tears because it is hard. Yeah. And um, I think you were in the, when, in the message that you sent me about the questions you wanted to ask, you mentioned, mm -hmm. is coming out a hero's journey. Yeah. And that resonates with me uh, the way that Joseph Campbell describes a hero's journey. One of the things about it is, and for some reason I always go back to Lord of the Rings for the, my sort of go-to hero's yeah, journey. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Campbell points out that one of well, part of the hero's journey is death. You die and you're reborn. Gandalf dies fighting the Balrog, if yeah. you will, goes down into the underworld, and then literally arrives at the mountaintop clad in white. He's transcended and renewed and reborn and refreshed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that coming out is very much that. <clears throat> the risk that you feel is the death of the ego, is the destruction of the world you knew and were safe in and happy in as a child. You're being asked to change all that, to destroy it, to shatter a glass uh, of a perfect family or of you being completely accepted by your parents and that being unperturbed. The boat has not been rocked and you're like, now I'm going to rock the boat and I don't know what the result is. And we get varied results and for those who uh, come out successfully and are accepted by their parents, um, the rebirth is somewhat easier. For those who are rejected, the rebirth is more difficult. But, and the success of it after, in the weeks and months and years after, depends on who they are, what their resources are, and, and how well mm -hmm. they can do with those. Um, but it is a reborn into a, a life that is different than the, than the one pr prior. They've, they've killed off the old self and they are now in the new self and whether that is a pleasant self or not is up to many different factors. Yes, and they meet their, <clears throat> I love these hero's journeys, they, they meet the goblins, the monsters, the whatever, and mm. I think that's just so metaphorically appropriate for, especially those of us who came from Maine. I came from Wyoming and Idaho and then we come out here and we have drag queens and leather people and bears and twinks and like this whole whole cast. Of I always think of LA as Oz. Mm -hmm. There are so many pair, and that was my favorite movie growing up and there's a big connection <laughs> yeah, between mom yeah. and I in that movie. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and for some reason, maybe because I live near the Wiltern Theater, which is an art deco emerald green building, Mm. that I especially think of L.A. As, as coming to Oz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so you mentioned two scenarios. There's, you know, both depending on how the parents react. Um, w I want to talk about this other scenario when 
someone, and I'm still shocked to see it today, I see men who are still trying to not be gay. They're still starting to deny their, um, uh, their sexuality, their love of men, and they either do it um, overtly or covertly. That's my. That's what I make up. It's a, it's a judgment. Some of them that are like covertly, they're on hookup apps with the, you know on the down down low or whatever, or something else is happening, and or they're uh, a senator, a Republican <laughs> yes. senator. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you think the fate is for those men? Um, the truth is so hard to live loyally loyal loyally with it is so hard to be a devotee and practitioner of truth to always speak it to honor it to uh, act in truth to make choices that honor truth um, it is also the clearest and ultimately the healthiest path the reason people don't or can't is because people aren't okay with everything that happens to them they are are afraid of pain, they are afraid of change, destruction, death of the ego, death of physical death. Um, there's many things that many people are afraid of and for many reasons, good, bad, and everything in between. So it's really hard to ask someone to speak the truth. Like, uh, you know, someone grows up in a Mormon family and they just, and the family is homophobic and overtly so, and you ask them to tell their parents that they're gay. Uh, that is a truth that will, you know, breaking, breaking open the whole subject and the whole discourse with the family by saying it would end up with some kind of liberation, you would hope. Uh, even if the family completely rejects them, then you could argue that that person is then free to live an honest life and a free life, free from the constraints of their family. You could argue that. Mm -hmm. um, but damn, that's a price to pay. And... Um, well, humans a, being humans, <clears throat> how do you ask someone to pay that price? It makes complete sense that some people make twisted choices. And I don't mean twisted in a moral, like, I'm judging you thing. I mean choices that call for mental and emotional gymnastics. Yes. I, I just did just record an interview with my Mormon dad. Mm. And we've gone, like, first this Christmas, I hadn't been back in 16 years. It's mm. not that I had never hadn't been back there. There was a three-year period where we didn't talk at all. Mm. Um because it was so hard and difficult and that stuff. Mm. But it is possible, and that's not what this interview is about, but we've resolved it and mm. come to unconditional love. Um, I believe, <clears throat> and this has been in my mind for two years now, I believe that queer kids of whatever gender and, and sexual identity, but queerness in the family from, from the children is the parents' opportunity from God or life or the universe to grow and to know to know whether, know themselves, to know God, if you believe in God, to know life, to know what the more free, transcendent truth of our universe is. And some parents accept it, and some parents allow themselves to go through this change, like it sounds like your father did, mm -hmm. and some absolutely do not. Yeah. And you find the same thing with monks. You know, they're making a point of studying the things that that change your, your life and put you closer to truth or God, and some of them make it and some of them don't. But I do think absolutely that um, the world is a muddy crossword puzzle. It is a 
twisted chaotic Rubik's cube where we come, we, we incarnate to do our homework. That's my personal mm. belief as a practicing Hindu. Mm -hmm. We come here to do our homework and part of the homework, part of the way the world offers those parents the homework of breaking their concepts so they can be free to mm. address God and truth on God and truth's terms is by answering the proposition given by a queer child or queer community member. Mm -hmm. mm. And that's uh, a reframing that, uh, a conversation I want to start with our community too, is saying this is a, this is a the way you described it, a gift that you brought into that mm. bio family unit mm. as opposed to a curse or a, Absolutely. or a, some sort of baggage. Right, that, that you know, in, um, I think we've talked about this before. I was uh, honored to do research on the history of drag for uh, Paramount Pictures, of all things. Oh and uh, w and the thing that I discovered that was so sh so stunning to me was that um, across the world, in early urban and pre-urban civilizations, uh, queer men, particularly ones who broke the gender line, um, trans men, trans women, um, and uh, non-binary people, uh, were all and and just flat-out gay people were all as ascribed the role of spiritual functionary. They were the ones who negotiated between the secular and the transcendent, whatever their culture's version of that was. And in the same sense, um, a, a, a straight child uh, brings the promise of continuing the family line and new mm -hmm. life and continuing mm -hmm. of the, the food and, and everything that a, that a baby grows up to be is such an enormous treasure chest of riches. Yes. A queer child, and I use queer, I know some people are not comfortable with it, I, I need a catch-all phrase to mean trans, I'm right with her asexual, bisexual, all yes. of us, yeah. all of us. All of us. So a queer child brings the opportunity of changing and opening right where you are now, which one is the physical continuance and growth in the world, and one is the spiritual continuance and growth of you. That's stunning, yeah. So yeah. every child is a treasure chest. Yes, and, and you're saying they, have, they bring different mm -hmm. um, roles mm -hmm. and joys mm -hmm. and challenges. Mm -hmm. And this said, <clears throat> let me not stick with a binary characterization of you know, cis and het and mm, okay. queer and, and trans. Um, we all have pieces of each other. Yes. You know, the Kinsey scale was like very few people were a perfect zero and a perfect six. We all have pieces of each other. There are heterosexual, mm. cisgendered people who are wonderfully queer. Sister Edna St. Vincent Getlaid was such a wonderful example of a queer cis het woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, and it takes a while to get there. Um, ego. You said death of the ego. I think that that's. What is that? Can you ex just explain what what you mean by that? What the ego is, and yes, and it's a how box can it of be crunchy a good cereal thing? with little berries in them. Um, <laughs> what does the ego to, box to me? Look like uh, ego means different things in the West and in Western psychology. Ego means uh, self, sense of self, self identity, and in the East, ego is like the big nasty. Like, oh, get rid of your ego. You're not free until you get rid of your ego. Yeah. Um, never mind that. You know what they actually say is that you need your ego. It's just you need to master it. To me, uh, contemplating it, it seems to be uh, most succinctly put as it's who you think you are. Mm. It may or may not be who you are. It may or may not incorporate parts of who you actually are, but it is certainly who you think you are. 
uh, consciously up in the intellect and way down in the id and you know the parts of you that are reflexive and not so verbal however you think you are and your life is that's ego and you're saying that for our best growth is when who I think I am who I'm very clear about who I am dies yes yes it may, there are parts of it that will remain or come back and be just the same after that you die and be reborn. Uh, usually they'll be, you know, spit shine, they'll have gone through the car wash uh, and come out looking shiny and new. And the parts that you don't need and the parts that were archaic and unuseful or based on things that were delusion or um, what they call samskaras, based on sort of mm -hmm. impressions of what's happened to you and just sort of clung as a reaction, a continuing reaction, those will hopefully drop away. And you'll be left, what you're left with is, is the you of you. And that goes on different levels. What you're left with is what they call parabdha karma, the karma that doesn't go away, that you can't burn off with spiritual practices, like um, I will age, um, I am in a assigned male at birth body, um, I am silly because uh, my father was silly and his father was silly, and I wasn't raised by my father, and the first day he showed up when I was 11, it became patently obvious it was genetic. We had the same joke, same sense of humor. Okay. So that seems to be parabda karma for me. Mm. So those things remain, and they are who I am, but the difference is I, I knew I was silly and I constructed myself around that um, when I was an adolescent and, and a kid and, and a young adult, and I sort of went to town with it and you know made up stuff about myself about being silly and folded it into my public persona and purposefully presented it and used it in very purposeful, intentional ways. Um, I gave up performing shortly after I started practicing meditation and studying Hindu philosophy. Mm. Uh, I gave it up cold turkey. I bought a one-way ticket to an ashram in India, um, and I was not silly for like three and a half months in, in India. Okay. Turning inward and, and I'm sure I cracked the occasional joke. But, um, and when I came back, I had given up performing and I went to computer school and I studied programming. Oh goodness. Right? Like, who are you and what have you done with Sister Unity? <laughs> yes. Is she all right? Is she in an underground <laughs> like, bunker under the garage? Where is she? And, uh, and then um, something like that, that was a period of time uh, that was about two years long, three years long. And then uh, somehow I started to, feel around and I happened upon Tim Miller's Gay Men's Performance Art Workshop out at Highway's Performance Space okay. in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with whether or not to go. A part of me instinctually thought this will be great and, an, and, and another part of me wanted to stay safe and not go somewhere risky and strange. Uh, and it was Eartha Madre, Chris Doggett, who called me up uh, like half an hour before the thing it was like you get your ass in your car and you get out there and I almost got into accidents on the way and and when I got there it threw open the the, the doors of my life and queerness came flooding back mm. and when it came back it came back on its own and it informed me how I was to enjoy being queer and it became an identity that eventually led to, and I have to give Chris Doggett credit here, I did dream work with him and the dream work we did led to mm. ma the manifestation of Sister Unity. Okay. Um, so, you know, queer magic right there. Sister Unity is partly born of queer magic. How do you like that? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was telling me, 
the great artists will tell you that this is their experience. Like they say it about sculpture, they see a form in the sculpture and they just have to free it with their chisel. They don't go, I'm gonna chisel this rock into this thing. They're like, I see a thing, it's in there, let's free it. Yeah. Um, great artists and writers will tell you the story, the art piece has a life of its own and uses you to make itself if you know how to get out of the way. And that's another way of saying if you know how to kill off the ego to yeah. let the channel be open to uh, for this to come out. Studying improv is a really good exercise in how to open mm. those doors, kill off or turn off or shove aside your ego, your sense of who you are, your sense of how the world is, your ontology, or your sense of how this should go. Yes. Get that out of the way and start listening in a state of preparedness, of readiness. And when you are there and you are working whatever your discipline is, uh, you know, you're working with the paint or you're working with your behavior on stage with another performer, uh, you're in the moment responding to the world and responding to your intuitive impulses and letting them come out. So that is the ego-less ego. That is mm -hmm. the self in worldly form doing its thing, being you through you, as opposed to what I'm describing as the ego, your intellect and, and all of the prejudices and the wants and the, all the stuff that you've learned to do out of reaction to what's happened to you. The mind as yeah, opposed making, to the self. Micromanaging, mm, micromanaging. Okay. The ego is a micromanager. Ah. Yeah. Uh, the ego, um, consciously sometimes and unconsciously, chokes off what would be the organic well-being, the organic impulses that would lead to strange, scary paths for people, but paths that ultimately mm -hmm. uh, they would be pleased with. I feel very lucky that I was pushed and prodded and cajoled and um, distracted into following an intuitive path. I came here to Hollywood to be Robin Williams or Will Ferrell, mm. and I had the resources to do it, uh, mostly. Um, I just got interested in other things and it took me somewhere and I'm not there and I regret you know not being rich and famous and being able to do a movie about talking scrotums because I have you know I know enough people in Hollywood I could do that but I'm sister unity and I could never have imagined that before I when I was 23 I could never have expected that but oh my god how better that is thank you for explaining that and for people like me um, I grew up knowing I was gay with the last name Gurley in Cheyenne, Wyoming and Pocatello, Idaho. The whole idea of stepping at Mormon, uh -huh. so much security in that religion because uh -huh. every day you are told what to do. Yeah. yeah. Monday is family home evening, Tuesday night is scouts, Wednesday night's relief society, wow. Saturday's the day we get ready for Sunday. Then and just Sunday rinse and repeat programmed and you get your own planet. Yes. You know, all you have to do is vary, not at all from this hardline path, right, right. Which, wor right, which works clearly for like at least 20% of the people on the planet are built that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they want to apply it to everybody. Yeah. Anyway, for me, it's like, it's heresy to let go of like how my ego had developed up to that point. I loved the church until puberty. And then it's like, wait, this doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, Today, I still think, uh, especially right now, the polarized country is we're right on this side, we're right on this side, we're right in the middle. Everybody's right, and that's there. It's a, like to me, it's a personification of this 
I, I understand exact. I understand everything in the universe. So I think the people raised that way mm. are very courageous mm. to, to, to be willing to put that down and say, yes. maybe I don't know. Yes. Because maybe yes. I don't know is not what, especially men, are supposed to say in a boardroom. Mm. Or... You better know. When... We're spending money on you knowing. <laughs> yes. Mm. Or in a group of, you know, even... Um, in, in our queer circles, it's like, you know, I know who I am, I know what I'm doing. Because um, you're lost if you don't. People yeah. will think you're weak, where they won't be interested in you yeah. if you don't know. And being weak is bad. Mm -hmm. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Being yielding is bad. Right. It's misogyny. That is way. misogyny, yeah. Yeah, um, and those kinds of things. So are you saying, do you think that was innate in you to be willing to take that kind of a risk? Or do you think that you had the right people coming really to you? I got really lucky. I, I don't know if it's genetic or just me or what, but I, or, or, and being in New England, it's kind of a thing too, we're skeptics in New England. I grew up wanting to cut through the bullshit and find out what the fuck was really going mm. on. I grew up with Watergate and Vietnam. <laughs> right. We got Life, Newsweek, and, and uh, Time Magazine, and I would be reading all about both the Vietnam War, uh, the protests, and Watergate. Okay. And I just, it's just that whole time and the place where I was raised and my own family's political awareness, which was pretty high. If you, if you mumbled anything during Walter Cronkite, you got shushed. <laughs> um, but the whole thing, and my sister, 10 years older than I, and she was a hippie, and she, she was uh, an artist, and she went to California and San Francisco and helped to start the punk movement in the 70s. All of this led me to be a person who was looking to get out from behind, to uncover, to unmask the, the bullshit, mm -hmm. and to find out what was really going on. That ended up leading me to uh, my spiritual and philosophical pursuits. Yes. It's like, okay, all right, Christianity's fucked. Like, that's, that's bullshit. We know that. <laughs> Bertrand Russell, we created God in our own image, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But then I was like, you know, um, there's something going on. I read the Tao yeah. Te Ching, and I was like, mm, that's a different way of looking at things. Uh, well. <clears throat> Are you casting aspersions to the Tao Te Ching? <laughs> no, no. I actually, I'm not really... How dare they dare you? Just the whole <laughs> concept of 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 Tao or is blows my mind. Oh, that's a, then then you get it. <laughs> you were talking about not knowing, right? Yeah, you're talking about that's it. You're there. Don't try to know more. That's the Tao. And that's it's just the, not. I just uh, yeah. I well, want to figure it out. Good. Be confounded. Like from, that's yeah. the whole point that Lao Tzu is writing about. Mm. Be confounded. Yeah. Because all this stuff that's founded yes. uh, is, the, is what I was describing as the ego. Oh, I know this now. Yes. There's a great passage in the Upanishads. Mm -hmm. Those who know, do not know. Those who don't know, know. If you are confounded, you're ready for improv. You're ready mm -hmm. to make art because yeah. you're open and you're unbiased. There's a, a soliloquy in the Hamlet, one of his last ones, where he talks about uh, there's providence in the fall of a sparrow. I can't remember the whole thing, but mm -hmm. he, he ends it with the readiness is all. Like it could happen then, it could happen now, it could, who knows when it'll happen. Don't pay attention to the details. It'll happen. Mm. And being ready, being there, uh, be here now, Ramdas, mm, yeah. uh, is the thing. And being confounded leaves you in that space. It leaves you available to be there in that space. And that's a kind of yielding weakness, if you will, oh. that is actually stronger than invented strength. Yes. Mm. Well, and I feel it, like, as we're talking. 
when I was 49, I started uh, getting serious about yoga again, and I got, and I dove into that mm. and and the Upanishads and, and I like blueberry yoga the best. <laughs> <laughs> and this whole idea of not knowing the, the, what you're talking about is still. It, it seems to me that's where like all the juice is. That's where all yes. the 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 unknown spiritual realness. Yes, you know. Is any truth you're going to find, you'll find so much faster, easier, and stronger when you're in that place, in that state. All so many of the great artists talk about this, and the great thinkers say, say this in one way or another. I just thought of John Steinbeck at the end of East of Eden, and mm-hmm. how the I think Adam, the father, tells his remaining son, Timshel, this Yiddish uh, Yiddish Hebrew term that means "thou mayest," meaning it's all open and it's all in your hands. What what what'll it be? It's all wide open. Mm. He doesn't say do this, do that. He's yeah. not prescriptive. Yeah. He rather opens the door. There it is. There's again mm. this open space, this open door. Yeah. The truth needs a vagina. Is it? Queers are the people who are not defined as one or the other poles. They're not the male or the female explicitly. If we're talking about gender, um, they're not like the expected sexuality. They're the ones in the liminal spaces, in the marginal spaces, in the spaces that aren't all occupied by the constructs of society. They, because of this, were seen by a lot of the Native American uh, uh, peoples as able to go between the transcendent and the secular because they didn't have any boundaries. They were the in-betweeners. So this space that we're talking about where you don't know, you're confounded, purposefully confounded, in joy and bliss confounded, you're in the liminal space. That's the liminal space. That's a queer space. Queerness is a manifestation of that. Queerness is a manifestation of that. Exactly right. Exactly right. There's the sun, the Apollonian paradigm of masculinity, the earth, the, you know, gayan, not gay, gayan, paradigm of the the mother and the femininity and the womb that brings forth life and blah, blah, blah. You talked about, uh, so Hindu, you say that that's, is that your like core? That's my personal thing. Personal uh, thing? Arena in which I consider philosophy. Yeah, and so you got there, and I th- I would say that most of the things that I turned to, I got through, you know, yoga teacher training, I've never really got, but I've, you know, read a lot of books. <laughs> and I meditate, <laughs> and, and I, you know, believe it. Um, how does it go with, like, Hindu, Sister Unity, and then the fetish community? How do you reconcile all of that? Why would I bother? Or, or, or... Here's how. Okay. Uh, I practice meditation. I was practicing meditation before I started to become Sister Unity. Uh, I had the opportunity to become Sister Unity, so now I practice meditation and I'm Sister Unity. And uh, the sisters uh, serve the gay community, and part of that is the fetish community. And so I followed Sister Candy into uh, a leather bar and started talking to people and finding out what it was about and talking to people and then carrying the message forward that I thought would liberate people. So that's how that happened. And that's... That's um, about all the analysis it really deserves. And that's... When you say it that way, it's just very succinct. Well, be here Um, now. I was meditating because I found it and it worked for me. So there I was. I got invited to be a sister of perpetual indulgence. And what, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not going to do that. So I was there then. Then they were like, okay, we're going to this uh, fetish thing and we're going to talk to the Leathermen. I trusted them, so I went with them. Mm -hmm. I was in the moment, then, then, and then. And so I ended up with that combo. The sisters... Are, are blessing these events. Gesundheit. And, and I do see people, it's very fun and it's very 
uh, funny. There's some poking being done at like <laughs> traditional. Um, I've blessed uh, a nipple or two. <laughs> well, and, and like traditional like religion and things like that. Oh, oh, certainly, and, certainly. And but I've always felt. At first, I thought it was this joke happening. It was. And it is a joke. Yeah. But it's also, now it's like, yeah. I want, the blessing's real for me. It is also real, yes. And Unless you don't want it to be, in which case we throw in some broccoli and rubber chickens <laughs> for you to just laugh at. Yeah. Do you wonder, like, I, I realize a lot of what holds me back is, is I, you know, worrying about ouching people mm, um, mm. having an ouch moment or me looking ridiculous or mm. um, the, all these reasons for not bringing beauty forward or bringing a blessing mm. forward I think that's one of the things that people older people's role is as far as I'm concerned is is to bless mm. things that are um to tell them they're okay, to, grow. to encourage them to do their thing and do it well with integrity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And as one meditation master put it, um, to make room for others' good. There is a there is a thing happening that needs to be looked at and rectified. Mm -hmm. And so serious because sister unity is just hilarious. I mean, you. I'll will tell like, you said so. <laughs> Well, we're very conscious that we are clowns and we use being a clown to do things and to cheer people up and to get across political messages. But we're also human beings and we're part of the community as well. You know, we exist outside of makeup as well. Yes. So when things like, when fucked up shit happens, we feel that fucked up shit has happened. And we just so happen to have people's attention because we're flamboyant and colorful and hopefully interesting. Mm -hmm. So we're like, give me that megaphone. I need to say that some fucked up shit is happening in hopes that other people recognize that the shit is fucked up so that we can unfuck the shit and get back to good wholesome food that is unfucked. <laughs> um, okay. It's definitely using the, the pulpit that we've invented with our rubber chickens and chiffon for other purposes. Yeah. And often I find that the serious stuff, which is perhaps a majority of the time, a minority of the times that I'm speaking or posting, no, actually, if you see me on Twitter, it's all serious. So sorry. It's just fun to debate with. <laughs> anyway, it rings louder because we've been silly. And people go, wait a minute. The colorful, silly, flibbity-jibbit is saying something, and it's serious. You know, if, you, if, you, if it has the ring of truth to it and you're good yes. at rhetoric, the fact of the contrast makes it land more heavily than someone they're used to hearing serious things from. Mm. Like, oh, this is that serious. Even the clowns are saying it. Yeah. You know, and then the truth is that, of course, the good clowns always say the truth. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for doing that. It's a pleasure. It's it, it, it thrilling. Was, it it's so was... much fun. Being an outsider and being a, a, a fluffy, colorful entertainer um, does give you a little bit of, not leverage, I would say, and maybe access or access to attention, access to people's attention. Mm. Yeah. And if you say things, if you're you know clear with what you want to say, and it ha and it um, it's something that matters to people, and you do that often enough, then you get a reputation, and you can use that. Yeah, reputation for its own sake is is just bullshit. But if if you can use it as a resource to get across important message and to increase amplify the voice of the voiceless people, then reputation is a useful tool. So the premise of this podcast is I, I want to help individual uh, well, gay men is what my target audience is. I've heard um, of them. 
and know who they are, identify and know their primary family, whether it's chosen or bio or both, and know their place in the world, the entire world. With just Sister Unity, we'll just, I think there's two personas too, right? <laughs> there's Bennett and there's Sister Unity. There's only one persona. It, it, oh. There's only one persona. What does that mean? So this was what my college essay was about. Uh, you know, I grew up in theater and there's this whole thing about peeling the onion and the layers of the onion and do, who's the real person underneath all of it. And people would see Sister Unity as the outward layer that I'm performing and mm -hmm. then the inner layer is someone else. Okay. And I disagree. I look at it, and this is what I wrote, it's, it's a multifaceted box or a tetrahedron or whatever, however many sides it has, okay. sitting on a turntable. Mm. And sometimes we turn the table and sometimes forces or other people or, or life turns the table. But people may see one side or five sides or all the sides. It depends on the circumstance and the context. But it's all one thing. It has facets. It is not that there are two people because the very first night I went out as Sister Unity, we went to Mardi Gras in West Hollywood when they still had it. Okay. And I was, as I walked up to the crowd, I was thinking, okay, do I be me, my secular self? Do I, in, in, but in drag and, you know, talk sincerely, but in drag? Do I play a character? Because I'm used to characters. Mm. I could invent a really funny character. Who would that be? And I tried the character route, and that worked for some shtick and passers-by. And then I met this tall guy, about six foot four, and he just looked glum. He looked so depressed. And so I started to talk to him, and it became immediately apparent that what I could offer him came from my own secular life, not from sister, the Sister Unity performance. Okay. And so I talked to him about things that I'd learned from my meditation practice and from my own therapy work. Um, and offered him a few tools that I had found useful and had to drop the character voice I had been doing because that it, it doesn't play right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, so I discovered that it is a combination and context will tell you which to do when. So on, some, on stage at the Eagle, I might be like, um, I can see your underwear, you know, for being silly. <laughs> no. And then there'll be a moment and the crowd will hush and I'll be like, and let me just remind you that there are five to 15,000 of our kids who identify as L-G-B-T-A-T-T-I-O-U um, on the streets of Los Angeles homeless because no one will let them in to their homes. And you have enough money for that beer, give some money to help these kids or go volunteer. Mm -hmm. And so that will be my secular voice but I'm Sister Unity at the time. So it all, it's all together, it's all one thing together. Awesome. So that's that's your core person. It's all my core. Yeah. It's all me. Yeah. And then so who's your core community or communities? Which mm. which communities or community would you say is your is your family? Yeah. Who's going to be at the hospital? Uh. Who's going to put you in the ground? Uh. Um, uh. Those those. You it's, know. it's funny how that varies, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say, because my name is Sister Unity, I wish I could say that the world is my community and everyone mm -hmm. all blah, blah, blah. Well, we're going to get to the world. And I guess you could. I guess I get, I'm getting to a point where, um, you know, being a Hindu, where I can see everyone as me. 
Like this whole thing of reincarnation, like we all think of it as like I die and then 10 years later I come back as a new person. Well, we know that outside of linear time, the mm. time is not a thing. It's, what is it, a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. So if time is not a thing, then I could be reincarnated, you could be me, and we're, yes. you're my reincarnation because time isn't a thing. I just got born. And so then you're like, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, isn't that what the spiritualists say? We, we mm. all are one. We all are together. Right now, I'm having a conversation with myself. I came to interview myself and I'm talking to myself. I, this happened to me on a bus once. And I love the idea of that, up, by the way. Right? Uh, you are the me that was born Mormon and blonde and would eventually be an IML winner. Mm -hmm. I'm the you that was born in Maine and has a predilection for capes and chiffon. <laughs> it's not what you, as you think of yourself, ego, like, uh, but it's just, isn't it amazing that you could also be that person, that similar and different, and that you could also be that black homeless guy who smells like pee and that um, black rap star drenched in diamonds and that Asian comedian who's making it big in movies now mm. and that obscure elder um, Polish person who everyone's forgotten about and they didn't have any kids and they're in an apartment in Boyle Heights. Mm -hmm. that are so unlike Mike Gurley you, but that those are you when you are like that. So in one sense, uh, my family is everywhere. So your family... That's easy in the head. Yeah. To answer your question, my niece will put me in the ground, I bet. Mm -hmm. My friend Melinda will put me in the ground. That's such a good way of expressing who you regard as trustworthy and, and, and intimate in yeah. your in your private sensitive life who would that be so my my best friend melinda my best friend kobina um uh, uh my my niece uh Kristen, my sister sally my mother if she outlived me but she's 90 now mm -hmm. and may not outlive me uh these are all family family who would put me in the ground okay um uh, there are sisters who uh, would put me in the ground i'm sure that's amazing yeah so your an the answer is for me it's very specific with okay. very specific individuals. And if yeah. I, if anyone's listening that I've left out, I'm so sorry. I was I, Mike put me on the spot. <laughs> those were the names I came up with because I'd been texting with those guys recently. Mm. Um, and for other people I know, the answer varies. Yeah, I think the AIDS, the plague, helped me get clear on that too. Because everything yeah. was very academic before mm -hmm. death was everywhere. Yes. And then so well after put. when death was everywhere, then it was like, now this whole thing about spirituality, this whole thing about who shows up and who doesn't, mm. Um, mm. was illustrated mm. uh, uh, around me. That's the reason I I look at it that way, and I think that um, as that subsides, enough people aren't get, people aren't giving it really enough thought, and there's a plague, there's another not another plague, there's a crisis of loneliness mm. that more men mm. are dying from self-inflicted handgun shots than are from all the mass shootings that Is happen this real? in the country. That's a real statistic. I yes. am sad to hear that. That's alarming. Yeah. It is really, really sad. And so fixable. It's Well, I think part of it is this core that I need to be this... That's the toxic masculinity that I'm talking about. It's like I, I can't have feelings. Mm. I can't have dreams and wants and fears and loves. 
and uh, or that you're not allowed to share those. That's or what to I mean. Ask other people to hold them to hold for that you. space. Yes, mm -hmm. and to and to do that. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I'm having this conversation about. So it's like, who are those people around you? And if mm. they're not there, then let's let's start. I mm. want to encourage people to identify those people mm. and then bless them when they do mm. spend time with whoever they are. I have yeah. my best friends, I've a couple members that I call my family, yeah. um, have created this world of they're very, very close and they're all they're making porn a lot of <laughs> you know uh but they're doing it in a different way which is just like with they all like each other and if they don't mm. like to hang out and play mm. exploding kittens and these other things like go on boat trips together then they're not making porn mm. with with each other okay. and they're actually like a and a friend of mine just was in the hospital and these are the people who showed up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and oh. so i just and some people wouldn't say that's not, I don't have a family. And I want to mm. look at those guys like, you do have a family. You are yeah. showing up for each other. Yeah. You are. Um, it's a loaded word. We've tried to make it mean something broader yeah. than it did to adjust to our situation. We, get, we queer people. Yeah. Um, and it works sometimes and it does work sometimes. For yeah. me, uh, I never felt like the people who weren't my family were my family. But maybe that's because I have family who are close to me. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm betraying them if I do that. I never. Mm, I was lucky. Mm -hmm. I never got kicked out of my home. So that question for me is is confusing and difficult because I I do have family, but when the one moment when I felt like I might not have family, I was like, well, who's going to be my family? And I didn't have any romantic people that I could turn to as family, and I knew I had people who would have my back. Yes. That's different, and I think a lot of people assign family to that. One thing that straight people do on a regular basis is just marry or accidentally procreate and then they have these connections. Um, it's pretty easily laid out for them. Yes. We have to decide to buy into that in our own version <clears throat> or not. And if not, then what will it be? We get to make that up or we're lost and we don't or yeah. who cares? Some yeah. of us are like, who cares? And we all need to stay flexible though too. Mm -hmm. What do you, th I think you've already touched on it, but what's your role on the planet? <laughs> no, actually, I have an answer for that because I thought this uh, about the third year into being a sister. I've been a sister for 24 years now as of December 10th. Um, uh, as a sister, my role is to be the hostess of the cocktail party of life, to make sure that everyone's fed, everyone has something nice in their hands to drink or whatever. Uh, everyone's got someone to talk to, everyone's smiling, that the conversation is flowing, there's nice music, everyone's okay. And, you know, interpret that metaphor however you will, but okay. when we go out, like say we go to a bar, um, some sisters will, you know, be at the bar and wait for people to come to them. Some sisters will like man a table or man a booth. I float around and try to talk to everyone in the bar because mm. I feel like hostess, cocktail party yeah. of life. Yeah. Same thing, we're out at like the AIDS march. I try to interact with as many people as there are to that I am able to bump into and to interact with and each one is completely different and some I end up talking to for an hour and sometimes it's just a, a quick hello but you know like a hostess going around a cocktail party yeah. like Auntie Mame Auntie Mame was the dream uh, that I, I, I dreamt yes. I was Auntie Mame when I said Chris Doggett did this dream work with me that led to Sister Unity I dreamt I was Auntie Mame and I went in with that dream and worked with him on it and realized a desire to be that sort of magical catalytic um, amazing, fabulous, exotic, 
cultured, um, eccentric, um, empowering and enabling fem female-based personage. And then about six months later, Sister Unity happened. Mm. Uh, uh, Eric Pruitt, Sister Candy, called me up and asked me if I'd heard of the sisters and if I wanted to be one. And I was like, hell yes. So, But you look at her in that opening scene of, of Auntie Mame and you see her at, her at the party she's holding and how she's yeah. going around. And she's interacting with anyone. Shakes hands with the monkey and, and compliments <laughs> the guy who has the aircraft engines on stage for his musical piece, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And then when Patrick is there and she realizes who he is, she zeroes in on him and focuses on him because he has needs and she sees it. Yes. It's like that. That's my role in the world. Wow. Well, with the classical, uh, those union archetypes, the lover, warrior, magician, king, there's masculine, feminine. It's, that really sounds, that's very sovereign lover energy, mm, you know. That's interesting. New the connection. lover. Mm. Yeah. Hostess, that stuff that you were talking about, though, is really sovereign energy. Mm. And I said that's another time when I think where people get power confused. Well, yes, you're right. I mean, it's her party. Yeah. 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 She's the one who has bought all the goodies. She's feeding everyone. You're yes. Right. It is a very sort of governmental role, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And seeing that the right people are meeting the right people. and the Everyone thinks that governance is about power. It's really about caretaking. Yes. Facilitation and yes. caretaking. That's when it's when it's when it's when it's in my judgment done right. Yes, that, I would agree with you. You would know. You worked in City Hall. I do, yes. Put in my government hat there. Mm -hmm. um, but seriously... The, 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 the cap to our conversation, if I had to sort of think about it all and sum it up, is that queer people are... Um, with our little coming out heroes journeys, we are asked to create our own sense of who we are um, as individuals and also as a community. And as you were pointing out, as sometimes as family. Yeah. Um, and that relates to the other thing we were talking about in the sense that the way to do that is we will repeat the mistakes of our oppressors if we keep trying to impose an intellectualized or overthought sense of, I know what this should be, I know what should be right, let me enforce that. Exactly. So the way you do that is you follow your intuition, you trust your intuition, uh, you realize when you are overthinking things and you go back to letting that, just let it go, just drop it and go back to, okay, what is my intuition? What do my guts think is the thing to do? And the other way to do that is respond to things in the moment. Don't try to plan and think everything out for years to come and make sure you've dotted every I and crossed every T. I mean, some planning is necessary, but yeah. um, be spontaneous about it. Be in the moment. What's in front of you that needs defining or taking care of or purchasing or designing right now? Is it your apartment? And make, be make your apartment. And because you're queer, it'll come out queer. You'll just go find the things that please you. That's using your intuition. Do the thing that's right in front of you, taking care of your apartment, or buying your groceries, or choosing your clothes, or deciding whether or not you're going to speak to your parents or not. That's something that's practical that needs to be taken care of. And that's a way that the job in front of you is to define that relationship, and you do it with, well, what do I and my therapist uh, think about the situation and, and work that out? That would be my summation of uh, practical advice uh, that could be awesome. extrapolated from our long, complicated, and at times extremely silly conversation. <laughs> With that, I'll close it. Thank you very much. You're absolutely welcome. Now take off your clothes. And that, brothers and sisters, was the one and only Sister Unity. I encourage you to follow her advice. Follow your intuition. Define your own story and celebrate your greatness. 
Until next time, this is Mike Gurley and the Gurley Men Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Gurley Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation, because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at Girlymen. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. We just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlymen.com. Until next time.